Today on our show... It's a top 10 last 10 with thanks to Cine Realist for the idea. Here comes Halloween edition. Bust it! Welcome to episode 391 of the Countdown Podcast. My name is Wayne. And my name is Paul. Welcome to the podcast. We count down movies and sometimes television in order of awesomeness, so you don't have to. And today, as mentioned, it is a top 10 last 10. Regular listeners will know this is where we link a whole bunch of recent watches, not by any specific criterion, just by the fact that we happen to watch them and rank them from worst to best, letting you know when we cross that line from the stuff you should stay away from to stuff that you should watch. Absolutely. And it's completely stuff that we've never spoken about on the phone, toy, on the show or before. Or on the phone. Or on the phone. <laughs> well, at least not to each other. <laughs> nope. That's it. Pretty straightforward. And uh, hopefully there'll be some things to recommend. There's absolutely some things on my list you should stay right the hell away from. Oh, mine sucks. I would say my list, this is... Uh, I don't have anything horrendously ho- horrendous. Oh, one. I've got one really bad, really bad film. A couple of disappointing films and a couple of all right films. And then at the top, a couple of good films. Mine's middling. Um, there's a lot of time I'll save you as a result <laughs> of this list. <laughs> okay. And Take then a couple of things I can or tell you. nine for the team. Exactly. Excellent. All right. In that case, let's get right into it then on the other side of this opening segment. It's called The Recount. Who wants a recount? Who? 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 Who wants a recount? Who? What happened this week, Polly? Well, last week we had the Dan from Netflix and Swill on doing the top 10 fist pumping television moments list. <laughs> yeah. And therefore there were three I people would, to yeah. vote for Dan, Wayne, or myself. And that threw everything into disarray. We had 64 votes, 42 comments on the thread. Now, I'll read you some of the comments first. Oh, okay. Jason Barr, Dan for his sheer passion for anime. Chef Ben Randall, how many times can I vote against Dan? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jonathan Lamb said, hell yeah, straw hats. I've been a long time fan of One Piece and I still think Arlong Park and Drum Island were the most touching arcs. Dan for the win. That's a lot of words. Smiley Samani, Dan for the anime love. What? These people I can't... Okay, that's it. This is how little I know our audience. I thought, what the hell is this? That's right. We've been doing you a disservice. Uh, But Dan, aka Mina Harker, said, finally, voting for Wayne for having the most diverse list. As much as I like, like four guys walking. <laughs> wow! So, Dave Rubino said, Dan gets my vote for having Yu Yu Hakusho on there. Okay? Holy tits. John Snow, okay, Julio from the Contrarian said, how can anyone not vote for Dan and his naked passion for animated men walking in slow motion? I mean, yeah. Okay, good. Interesting. Nicholas Haskins also voted for Dan. Oh, but they're fucking bros or whatever. Yeah, so, <laughs> basically, at the end of the day, Dan still lost. Okay. <laughs> okay. It, but he did get 23% of the 64 votes. 15 votes went to Dan, and then between you and I, one vote the difference. You won. 24 to 25, <laughs> I've fallen over the line. Hooray for me. Uh, but clearly, this was as close a vote as we could. No, but have. I'm still amazed at all the hentai lovers. <laughs> <laughs> it's well. a tail, not a dick. All right, so um, fine, fine. Well, there you go. Uh, learning new shit every damn day. Chad Fackler said, Wayne gets my vote, as I had no idea he was a brown coat brother in arms. Oh, Firefly? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Might want to change that vote there. I thought it was Brain Brown Face. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Stephen Burns has to be Wayne with his Sesame Street pick. Only Wayne could include a pick where someone literally has their fist inside a character on a top <laughs> fist pumping list. Oh, yeah. Nailed the brief. There you are. There you are. <laughs> so there you go. Yet somehow, I guess the silent majority just voted for moi. 
Nice work. All right. Well, then we'll see what happens. Well, no, we don't do voting for top 10 last 10. So we'll it was a free for all. resume next week with our topic that we'll announce at the end of today. But uh, let's get into it then for this top 10 last 10. On the other side of this is a cue. Let's go. Turn. Here, Here comes, comes Halloween edition. Is the subject of this week's countdown, and it's only called that because we have to differentiate between our top ten last ends. Because exactly. Apple Podcast does not like it if we just call it the same thing week. Well, every time we do one of these mm-hmm. things. So, Wayne, uh, do you want to take us away? Sure. What the hell? What's your number ten piece of shit that everyone should avoid? This is a piece of shit. It's from Net- it's on Netflix, and it's called Me Time. Oh damn! Did you watch it? No. Good. Because it's got Kevin Hart. In it. Oh yeah, of course. All right. And everyone. Mark Wahlberg. Put those two together in a comedy. Fuck right off. Look, I still think Mark Wahlberg has some leading man's chops, and he's done well in certain other things. Not a lot of other things, but Max some Payne. other things. <laughs> yeah. Look, I never saw Max Payne, <laughs> but like you know, even like the Christopher Plummer thing, the whatever. Spencer like, Confidential. I did. Last okay. Year yeah. See, uh, yeah, you, your, your case is much stronger than mine. <laughs> but he has done well in the past. However, not here. Because this movie, Me Time, ironically, will present an unwelcome drag on your Me Time. Mm. Kevin Hart plays a stay-at-home dad with a successful wife. And he has an old friend, played by Marky Mark, who is a longtime wild man thrill-seeker dude who goes wingsuiting and has wild keggers and lives large, even though he's almost like 50 or something. Um, what? No! Yeah, yeah, and... Um, <laughs> I remember wanting to be one of these guys at that age, but I do not want to be one now. I just don't. Uh, And so anyway, they they have a long history of doing crazy, fun, wild shit together as buds. But now Kevin Hart is a father and he's dedicated to his family. And he keeps rejecting Marky Mark's calls for him to join this wild party weekend he's doing for his birthday. But then his family takes, Kevin Hart's family takes a vacation and he's like, "Mm, fuck it, I got some me time. Decides to join Marky Mark and of course, this upends his life. Hijinks ensue. Hijinks ensue and that's the movie. Now, Here's the problem with the show. It's shit. Right? <laughs> like, it's wildly shit. And I'm sitting there going, look, if I had to make, if I get this technical about it, it has some structural problems that drag the story. It takes too long to reintroduce the Marky Mark character in, and it litters the canvas with a bunch of other different characters. Mm-hmm. And although there are some unexpected and zany complications, it's never remotely comic as such. It's more like they scurry around trying to add humor, but I'll tell you this, Wahlberg's character does undergo some some sort of arc which I did not expect. There is the occasional giggle, but better than most Kevin Hart films. This is <laughs> ah. Here's the thing, though. It's just ultimately it's another shitty Netflix comedy. Okay, and uh, it has Andrew Santino in it, who's this ranger dude who I really like. He's a comedian who I do like. Okay, so he's got a role in it which isn't too bad, but it sort of intrigues me that Netflix can because this would have cost them a fortune on some level because well, of all to pay for the stars Mark exactly. And Kevin right? Hart. Yep. But like, at what stage? I'm interested. At what stage? If you if you if you pitch a movie like this, and I don't know who produced it, but maybe it was those two. One is there some deal? Because I'm I'll bet you it made a boatload of of views for them. I bet you it did. All right, but it's really shit and it's really really crap. And so how do they keep doing it, man? How do they keep doing it? And who's the guy who keeps greenlighting this shit? It's like weird, man. So I mean, I'd, I'd actually like to talk to Dan about not hentai. But about stuff like this, who like you know how how would what is the economics of having a piece of shit like this, which they keep doing over and over? Pretty sure Dan only talks to people who talk about hentai first, and right. then maybe you right. can get into that conversation. Okay, I'll splooge in his face, animation style. <laughs> then we'll talk. 
just walk slow-mo towards him with three other That's people. That's what I'll do. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Paulie, let's hear your number 10. Yeah, unfortunately, my number 10 is no better at all. It is, I guess it's trading on being a horror film, but this is one of the least horrific horror films you're ever likely to see. <laughs> it's called The Reef, colon, Stalked. All right, where'd you come up with this one, Paul? It's a sequel, apparently, to a film I have apparently logged and watched and remember nothing about. It's a shark attack movie. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and you know what? It kind of starts off seemingly going to be better than than you think it, or than you anticipate it's going to be because it starts off with a very heavy message about domestic violence. And like, whoa, okay, we're going some real gravitas here. This is not what I was expecting for a light, frothy bunch of girls <laughs> in danger being eaten by a shark film. Which Paul calls light and frothy, everyone. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> Um, instead, so the surviving girls after one of their number is basically murdered in the opening scene mm. then go on this sort of a year or two later, whatever it is, kind of this kayak for their lost friend and then they get set upon by the shark that follows them and stupidity of the highest order follows. They make bonehead decision after bonehead decision. That's what kills all this shit, man. Oh. Because it's Jaws, right? Like, this is a broke ass Jaws, right? Yep. So then, and the characters do dumb shit, and you're like, that wouldn't happen, and now you're out. With really shitty CGI shark when they can't just use archival footage of a shark swimming at a camera, which is what oh. happens about five times through the course of the film. <laughs> Stock footage, fantastic. Oh, fuck, it's terrible. And then, <laughs> perhaps the biggest sin of it all, and here's a slight spoiler for the reef. No, no, no one's going to It's fine. Like, one person gets fucking eaten in this entire movie. One. I knew that would be your problem, like, that only one person dies. <laughs> So, in other words, domestic violence is is a, as big a killer in this film as the shark is, and yet we spend three minutes on one thing and eighty seven on the other. But it's just odd. Like, I mean, look, having not seen the film, I don't know. But like, if it starts on that really harsh note, and then it becomes shark movie at the end, and then you know, like, it's look, I don't know why you watch horror movies anyway. So, <laughs> it <laughs> to is me, it's already really weird. shit. Do avoid Andrew Trockey's The Reef Stalked. Is there anyone in it? No, no. Okay. <laughs> Not a surprise, but there you are. Uh, my number nine, however, does have the odd star or two in it. Ooh. By which I mean Ben Foster, Chris Pine, Gillian Jacobs, and 24. Or Keith, Keith Sutherland is his friend's one. Oh, yeah, I've seen this one. The, the Contractor. contractor. Yeah. yeah, it's an Amazon Prime film. I and about I last top ten last ten. Yeah, you did. So let, tell me, okay, so I everyone... I higher than you, but that may have been a product of my list. This is such an old story, if you ask me now, because like I've seen so many movies about this. In fact, there's another movie on my list that's a little bit like this as well. It's about um, Chris Bayan. He's a Special Forces Special Sergeant, and he gets involuntarily discharged from the army, gets cut off from his pension. He's in debt. He's out of options. He's got a kid and a wife, so he needs to provide for his family, so he decides to contract with a private underground military force headed up by Kiefer Sutherland. And of course, the assignment goes awry, and it seems like the crew he's working with you know, turns tail and starts to hunt him. He goes on the run, and... I saw this because I'm a Chris Fine fan and a Gideon Jacobs fan, frankly. And I thought, I'll hit this up. And, you know, it's presented to me when it happens on Prime. There is some good enough... It's not a terrible film in terms of how it's executed. It's just very run-of-the-mill in terms of, like, you know, um, it's shot well enough. Uh, it's a bit slow at the start, though. It's very, very slow. Yeah, it is. And the second act, though, the film's particularly good. Yes, the ex- the second part of the act is good, but what it does, and it does it does a good job of making you understand that these war vets who get discharged have a specific set of challenges most people can't identify yep. with, and all that sort of thing. So it's a teeny bit about fathers and sons, but not in any way of consequence. It just takes a long time to get going. As you said, once it starts to become its like sort of like the action niche part. It's ultimately, though, I think quite so-so because what happens is I remember looking at the runtime, walking and going, okay, well, it's had a bit of action, a bit of intrigue, a bit of that, and you know, you, you're starting to get developments. And then I'm like, 
they've got 15 minutes to wrap this up now. Like, to actually do the thing. And then it races it just, to the end. boom, it like, yeah. wham. All yeah. of a sudden, it's like, in one scene, it's like the whole thing wraps up. And, and I was in like, a scratch my head going, that was way too easy. No, it was way too easy. And it was way too, un. I mean. Unearned. Unearned. Yeah. And un, like, sort of like, it, it's just such a wrap-up ending. And given the long, drawn-out story beforehand, for that to happen, it looks to me like Kiefer Sutherland had only a few days on set. Yeah, you might be right. You know, and that's why it's like, okay, you got to wrap it up in this scene. And then it became like, sort of like, for a guy of Chris Pine's caliber who's doing, you know, shit these days, I'm like, I wonder where this fits in to their, like, to their career. Is it like, okay, listen, you've got, you just did Wonder Woman or something, and then you've got another, you got, you might be doing another Star Trek. Have you got, like, sort of three months to do this film? Yeah, how much will you pay me? This much. Okay. And then it's Amazon and there you go. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how Hollywood works, but so-so, not terrible, but I absolutely, completely forgettable for me. Yep, so, fair enough. There you are. Can't argue. My number nine also happens to be another film which is being advertised as being a horror, but it drops the ball completely if that's what it's actually. It ends up being more a satire on the youth of today, if I can put it that way. It's called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Oh, how'd it go? Just came out here in Australia at the cinemas last week. Mm-hmm. And my brother and I chuffed along to see it, hoping to, to be kind of wow. It's an A24 film, so you know straight off the bat it's not going to get a very straightforward kind of horror. It's going to be something different. Well, it definitely is something different. Pete, what's his name? Pete Davidson. Davidson, isn't yes. it? And so is Lee Pace, who plays you know Ronan the Accuser. Oh. In Guys of the Galaxy. Galaxy. Yep, yep. Yep. So I didn't recognize him until the, the end credits. I'm like, holy, because yeah, of course he's got the yeah. makeup on whatever it is. He's jacked kind of 40-odd-year-old dude amongst a bunch of 20-year-olds, rich, trust fund-type 20-year-old kids. Okay. And they all gather at this house of Pete Davidson's character's father who's away. They've all gathered there for a big party. Mm-hmm. And along come Maria Bakal- Bakalova, who was in the Borat 2 film. Oh, that little girl. Yep, yeah, yep. yeah, his daughter in that yep, film yep. and Amanda Stenberg. And they're our girlfriends who, well, Amanda Stenberg's, Amanda La Stenberg's character, Sophie, professes her love for, for B, who doesn't really know how to sort of handle that scene. Is that a girl? Yeah, they're okay, two yeah. girls. Yep, yep. Yep. And so off they, they appear at this party and there's clearly some tension among the players and whatever else. And they decide to play bodies, 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 which is what someone's is the killer. And then you turn the lights out and they wander around. Anyway, someone gets murdered. Actually murdered. Yep. Got it. And that sets off this big chain of events of paranoia and delusions and shifting sides and support because you've got this older dude amongst them and you've got this new newcomer to the group and then this simmering tension between two of the other girls and it's just shit. Is it sh- it's so? Not scary. Is it's it? Not in- I mean, it's it it a funny Paul. Is it funny? No. I mean, no. no there's a, what, two or three giggles. I will say through the course of the film because it's really taken aim at. You're too busy with your your face and your phone these days, youngsters. Yeah, you know, enjoy life. Don't get so caught up in all that shit. Mm-hmm. There's legitimately one one hilarious moment, which is a huge spoiler, so I can't okay can't speak to it. But it doesn't save the whole film. So um, the two the only things I know about this film I saw the trailer and I saw Pete Davidson saying something like. So the thing is, I look like I fuck. Yes. And that's the vibe I like to put out there, which yeah. I thought was quite funny, right? And given that he nailed one of, one Kate of the, Beckinsale. Not yeah. Kate Beckinsale? Yeah, man. What? No, yeah, he, motherfucker. Didn't he nail, isn't he nailing Kim Kardashian? He was. He was, but right before that, it was Kate Beckinsale. Really? I know! It's so like, for guys like us, we're like, are you kidding me? He's, he's a very average looking he's dude. A, he's actually wildly unattractive. Yeah. And he does, to his credit, make fun of that and say, like, uh, at least, you know, I'm the only guy who looks like me who has a job. <laughs> most most guys like who look like me don't you know that sort of thing and so yeah his stand up actually isn't terrible I'll tell you that but yeah okay um and obviously but what I wanted to ask you was because the the trailer itself says it would too be too obvious if I was the killer and stuff like that he says stuff like that is the actual ending satisfying to you yes yes but 
It's so one note to get there. There's only so many squabbles. It's all in the dark. Virtually the whole film takes place in the dark when the power goes out. Yeah. So it's all being lit up by their camera phones or by the glow sticks that they're all sort of wearing. Okay. It's all right for the first 10, 15 minutes, but then it gets really same, same yeah. and lots of shaky cam and really confusing. And there are a few long shots there, but you can't really tell what's going on. So it's just, it's making its point and it makes it very hard by the end, but I lost interest by halfway through this film. I just didn't care. And given that this is meant to be a, a horror comedy, it's light on the laughs and it's not at all scary, frightening or horrific. So it's a fail for me. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Not a good film. Yeah, these A24s, you never know. Yeah, they're very hit and miss for me. I love some A24 films as when we do that yeah. countdown, but some of them are really are real stinkers. And for me, this was a stinker, though this is not backed up by popular culture because this gets a 3.6 out of 5 on Letterboxd, which is no slouch of a score for a horror film. Is it? Mm. Shit. Okay, fine. Uh, so maybe right. I am not the right person. Maybe this is geared at 20. To 23 year olds and I should just get back in my box as being double that age and shut the fuck up that's the way it is for a lot of media out there Paul with us and so on one such example being well maybe not maybe not my number 8 is the film The Samaritan oh Sliced Stallone Sliced Stallone superhero prime movie prime video prime video right I haven't okay. watched it All right, guess I'm so, not going to be ah <laughs> uh, look Alright, so look, it's about, it sort of focuses on this 13 year old boy, Sam Cleary, and he suspects that he lives in sort of the projects and sort of some quite dreary area of I'm not quite sure what nondescript American town it is, but he suspects his mysterious and reclusive neighbor, Mr. Smith, sliced alone, is actually a legend hiding in plain sight. Because, see, 20 years ago in this city called Granite City, they had this superpowered vigilante called Samaritan. And he was fighting with his rival, Nemesis, and I think they were brothers. And they supposedly had this massive fight in this big warehouse battle, and this big fire happened, and Samaritan died. And so it's like most believe that he died, and, and by, some people think that maybe he's still alive because they never found a body and all this sort of shit. And yep, he yep. basically thinks that Sly is him. And so he makes it his mission to coax the neighbor, Sly, out of hiding to save the city from ruin. Now, Sly does a reasonable job okay, because he's good amount of world-weary gravitas. He's still a big enough guy at what I assume is 60 or 70, right? Yeah, he must be getting close to 70. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, to be, you know, he's got the imposing physicality to make the sight of his character beating up men who are like, you know, 20 years old, quite convincing. So it was okay, but the bad guy is incredibly lame. Uh, he purports to be a man of the people, but he, sound like, he just sounds kind of stupid and dickish. And I think what happened is the solid idea that might happen here I wouldn't say the movie is devoid of surprises, so that's something. But it's healthy to look at, but it's overall not that good. And the best thing probably I would say about it is it's very unpretentious because it feels like an action movie from the early 2000s. Uh, okay. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, so it's not trying to be a Marvel film on purpose, which is probably a good call. But so it's not glossy. and Not at all. However, they're like the opening scenes and stuff where they show the history, that's pseudo-animated, which is quite interesting okay. and, and cheap. Doesn't sound like you hated this. I didn't hate it, but it's not good enough for me to recommend at all. Okay. Like I would never Hence say you got to check that shit out. Yeah, it's like it's like eh, it's all right, but it's totally a time passer. And if I'd known this, I wouldn't have watched it. If I'd known it was this caliber, I wouldn't have bothered watching it. I'm not saying it's horrendous, but it's not worth your time. So there you go, Samaritan, everyone. Okay, a all lot right. of people did, did tell me that they liked this movie. So. Perhaps it's just me. If you like just superhero fair, I haven't heard a lot of good buzz about it at all. So you think? I think you said this to me. It's like, hey, a sliced alone superhero film, and you don't get a lot of buzz about it. Mm -hmm. They probably know it's not that good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Seventy six years now. Seventy six. Yeah, we should all be so lucky. Right. He's, that's in fine, fine form. Fine form. 
All right, my number eight is another film which, again, it's a quasi-horror film. It's a horror-thriller comedy. It's a high school horror comedy. Oh, yes. So I'm a bit one note here for the Halloween bit. Don't worry, I'll get away from this in, in due course. <laughs> sure. It's called Unhuman. And it's a really low-budget film from the director of Feast and the Collector and the Collection, Marcus Dunstan, and co-wrote with he and Patrick Milton, who these are the guys that won the first season of Project Greenlight all those years oh, yeah, ago yeah, yeah. and have gone on to make a career out of this. And they, typically, yeah, yeah, yeah. they typically make low-budget sort of horror, horror comedies. That's their sensibility. They did a really terrible – they wrote it, I think. Yeah, they wrote the, the terrible Piranha 3D sequel, Piranha 3 Double D. Oh, dear. So they're very hit and miss. <laughs> and this, unfortunately for me, was a miss. It basically follows a, a school bus crashes and there's been some kind of attack, of chemical attack of some description, and it's turning everyone into these mutants and they attack all these high school kids. And we've got the, the socially awkward girl, her friend who's getting into the into the hot group of friends, the hot group of friends and the jocks and the whatever else and then the outcast, the, the guy who's a D&D player and whatever else, that all that kind of stuff. High school life, yep. Yep, so they're all sort of represented here and, and they make their way to this area where they're trying to hole up and survive. All very standard, but it's filmed really hyperkinetically. The editing is so over the top. They're trying to throw every editing technique, wipes and four things happening on screen at once and melting and fading away. And but too much? It's too much. And then this film swings to the fences in terms of something that happens during the movie. Again, can't speak to it. It would be a huge, massive spoiler. Mm. Does it work, though? Either. I didn't for me. Okay. Though I did explain half the things I was saying, like, what the fuck, this? What the yeah. fuck, that? What the fuck? Oh, yeah. okay. That's the, the twist, <laughs> if you will, explains that. But... It's still garbagely stupid. And in terms of thinking it through, it's yeah. so massively dumb that, okay, what were you hoping to get out of this? If this is not, when I say you, I mean the characters that are doing what they're doing, it makes zero sense at all. So, yeah, swing for the fences, falls well short. Unhuman is my number Unhuman. eight. Unhuman. Yeah, don't okay. bother. Good. Don't bother. Good to hear. Good to hear. My number seven, I saw in the cinema, Paul. Ooh. And it's a George Clooney and Julia Roberts oh, film. God. Of course I saw it, Paul. It's called Ticket to Paradise, everyone. And for a fleeting moment there, I thought to myself, hey, Paul, let's cover this for the show. <laughs> and then I thought better of it as I, as I came to my senses. What the, what the hell? Uh, you, shut up, no! fuckface. I hate you. No! You know no! what? Let's cover it for the show. Fuck you. All right. <laughs> All right. Ticket to Paradise is... Uh, so George Clooney and Julia Roberts are long-divorced parents of a young girl... Who you would, I think she was in Booksmart, actually. And she's also in Justified. She just graduated college and she's going on a holiday to Bali, Paul. Bali. Wee. Before she starts her job at a law firm. Clooney and Julia, they hate each other with a passion. They can't stand to even be near each other. But they make a begrudging and unsuccessful effort to bury the hatchet for their daughter's sake while they attend her, you know, her ceremony, her graduation ceremony. But the daughter goes to Bali. She meets a Balinese dude there who's the most American-sounding Balinese dude I've ever seen. <laughs> and she tells her parents that... She's decided to throw away her law career and get married to the dude in Bali oh, and God. they shit their pants, right? Yep. As you would, right? Yep. So they freak out. They go to Bali and try and change her mind. And pretty much the movie turns into exactly what you think it would, to, would right? So Because I, I'll say this for, for rom-coms. If the rom-com doesn't have a happy ending, I don't know that it is a rom-com. It has to do that because it, for the audience, it does like you, you're going there for a specific thing and it has to give it to you. The only thing it can do is give it to you in a way that you didn't expect. I think that film with uh, Jennifer Aniston and was it, who was it, Seth Rogen? I don't know. No, it wasn't Seth Rogen. Someone where they, they never got back together. Uh, along came Polly? <laughs> no. Nah. Uh, you know what? Crazy Stupid Love sort of did this. It could just be called The Breakup. I'm not sure. 
Oh, Vince Vaughn. Yes, Vince Vaughn. That's his. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Vince Vaughn, same people. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. There are ones. There are examples of this. Like Crazy Stupid Love. They like you think Steve Carell and Julianne Moore would get together. They don't at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, anyway, that so uh, you know. So I hear what you're saying, but I think there are exceptions. There definitely are exceptions, but this is what I, I knew it would go this way. However, the main points that I would say now, some of the barbs that George Clooney throws at Julie Roberts are reasonably chuckle worthy because they hate each other. Everyone's doing fine in their roles. I believe it's just another film to watch true movie stars in. But the kick I get out of this film is that it's mostly set in Bali. And I know when I see Bali in American films, because it's so far away from the States, it's treated as quite exotic yes. and mysterious. But if you happen to live in Perth, people, it is considered the cheapest overseas holidays you can take. Yep. You can it's probably... cheaper even than Rotnest. Uh, dude, it's cheaper than... <laughs> in Melbourne, exactly. It's cheaper. It's like... <laughs> it costs like... You can do it for three bills. You could probably do it for three bills if you had to. Like, and I'm talking accommodation and everything. It's a little bit like Spain for Irish people. We think Spain is like, oh, how exotic. Yes. But for them, it's a ferry ride away. Right. So, um, in fact, so Bali's a third world country. And what's funny is while it does have some beautiful parts, it's mostly poverty stricken and dirty, right? Absolutely. Now, the Balinese dude she hooks up with is a seaweed farmer, which is the actual main trade in, for Bali. Okay. Balinese people. But somehow he lives in this beautiful house right on the beach. This palatial. It's like it's like a it's like a shacky hut thing, but it's a good one. Do you know what I mean? And um, the, the all the seaweedy farms is right in front of his doorstep. Now seaweed farming is it doesn't make hardly any money at all, and it's like a really backbreaking type of thing. Mm-hmm. But for him, it's like I'm communing with nature and shit, and I'm like fuck off. <laughs> 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 so what I'm saying is like I'm not recommending the film for sure. But I would be lying if I said I didn't still enjoy it at a medium level because of probably one thing about it was me being in the cinema. And the other thing was, ah, I don't see a lot of movie stars lately, Paul. How many movie stars are left? You've got Tom Cruise for sure. I think he's one of the last ones left. But you got your Brad Pitts, your George Clooney's, your Julia's. They're real movie stars. And that's all you get from this film. Mm. And You're not selling me on it. No, it's not enough. It's not enough. But for a guy like me who's basically a bitch, uh, I quite <laughs> I quite enjoy sort of just seeing it's sunny and stuff. You know what I mean? It can put you in a good mood. So there you go. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's all I got. <laughs> You're probably speaking about as warmly about your number seven as I'm about to speak about my. My number seven is a Steven Soderbergh film. It's called Kimmy. Kimmy. And it's, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> and it stars Zoe Kravitz. Oh wait, Steven Soderbergh. Yeah. What was his last Soderberg? one? Soderbergh. Soderbergh. Yeah. Sorry. So his last one, because Soderbergh does shit, then good, then shit, then good, then shit, then good. I think his last one was shit. So he might be doing shit, shit. Please go on. I don't know what he doesn't order them nicely here in terms of what he did last. I mean, there was Logan Lucky not that long ago, that but one he did was that not one. Terrible. Did he do a basketball one where it's all shot with an iPhone? Or yes, some I shit? heard about that one, and then oh, I th- that was crap. I saw Soderbergh. I can't remember what it was. Sorry, please go. Oh, on. he did another one where there was like a mental health. Vibe, someone been locked up. Anyway, yeah. this one is more of the same. I just think he he just goes through the motions now. There's nothing special about this movie whatsoever. Kimmy, what's it about? So basically, agoraphobic tech worker. Mm-hmm. That's Zoe Kravitz. Her name's Angela, and Kimmy is this kind of like Siri operating system yep. for phones and whatever else. Got it. And the film starts in this weird way with some sort of side bloke, and later on, it all weaves back into the story. And her job is to basically listen to people saying, Kimmy, do blah. And when Kimmy fucks up, she then programs or writes it in and submits that. So she's she's basically quality. Like a, like a bug tester. Yeah, like bug a, testing, quality controlling, trying to fix it and then sending it off to HQ where they... Aggression tester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it. she's agoraphobic based on a violent crime that she was... she. Um, 
Oh no, maybe mixing that up. No, that's a, that she's subjected to, but it hints that she's got this history of. Is she in an office or is she? No, she's at home. At she, home, works home. she works from home. So yeah. it's kind of building on this whole. I'm sure it was shot during the, the COVID 19 yep. pandemic. Yep. So yep. it's really much just pretty much her in the house. She hooks up with a neighbor across the road, but when he doesn't do exactly what she wants, she freaks out and kicks him out. So mm -hmm. she's got a lot of damage, a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she hears what sounds like a violent crime that Kimmy records. Oh. And so she starts trying to report this, but it gets her nowhere. So eventually. She has to leave her house, confront her agoraphobia. Because it's nearby? Well, no, to, to basically go and make a proper report and make a big enough deal. Uh, but in so doing, she gets the people who committed the crime and start coming after her. Okay. It doesn't sound terrible, but obviously it is. Yeah, it's just really perfunctory and really straightforward and really simple. So there's no surprises, mm. nothing intriguing. Zoe Kravitz is fine in a movie, but she's not doing doesn't give a whole lot to do, really. And it's just boring, really. It's it's such a eh, nothing film from a filmmaker who's so much more talented than what he puts out here. It really just feels like he doesn't try anymore. Th this is the Soderbergh thing, okay? Like he's, I think on one level, this is a guy who is in that rarefied kind of air where you are respected enough by studios and whoever to say, you can kind of do whatever you want, Stephen. Because in the past, you've done whatever you wanted and it worked three out of 12 times, right? <laughs> And so, like, he'll do we'll, contagion. We'll take those odds. No, but they do. And he's like, he's like, some people, like, I, if he said Steven Soderbergh as opposed to a no-name director, I'm more interested. I may not still see it. I yeah. definitely won't now. But, like, you know what I mean? So he does that. He'd so probably find this one fine. I think he'd probably rate it slightly higher than me. But no one is walking away from this film going, wow, what a revelation. How yeah. incredible is this shit? You know? That's it, right? So, uh, okay. No, it doesn't, yeah. I mean, like I said, the premise sounds fine, but it's probably not dissimilar It'll to anything It'll get that bump that cinephiles, oh, Soderbergh has directed this one, so I've got to give another half star Absolutely. or star. Get Absolutely. That's exactly what I think. So nice work. All right, cool. Now, this next film from mine, number six, is called Confess Fletch. Oh, yes. I did think this would be on your list, and I was going to try and right. catch it. And then I went, now, nah, I'll just wait talk about it. No, I understand. Now, here's the thing. So it's got John Hamm, John Slattery, Kyle MacLachlan, a couple other folks in it. What it is is, I don't know, you kids are probably too young, most of you, but... Fletch and Fletch Lives is a Chevy, Chevy Chase, Chase movie yep. that was made from a series of books yep. about Fletch, who's an investigative reporter. And the thing about this character is that he's so good-looking and charming that every, every place he goes in, everyone just wants to fuck him and he gets in anywhere. I so, thought back in those films, it was because he was a master of disguise. Now, in the Chevy Chase films, they did that. They made him a master of disguise. Because he's not good-looking enough to be all everything you just said about John Hamm. Yeah, although it should be mentioned <laughs> that Chevy Chase in his day was considered the only sexually attractive comedian. Because huh? it wasn't a thing then. With uh, apologies to Steve Martin. Well, right after him, well, Steve Martin, fair enough. But like, right after him was Eddie Murphy. That's the only other comedian everyone wanted to fuck. Oh yeah, right? everyone, everyone to fuck. Eddie Murphy. So it's like this was a thing for that at the time. Including However, Eddie Murphy. <laughs> yeah, kind of <laughs> up. Yeah. Now the first Fletch, I didn't like. I remember seeing it as a kid in the 1980s and going. This show is all over the place. I don't really know what's going on here. It just seems like a collection of scenes that go together. Mm -hmm. And then Fletch Lives was really good. I really liked it. This is just like the original Fletch. It is like it's it's um it's basically that Fletch John Hamm is it's he's he's investigating a, a case of stolen paintings. He's roguishly charming. He doesn't bang as many women as you would think. Yeah, I think he only bangs one. So that's like, uh, wow. If only I had the disappointed sound drop. <laughs> well, if you're John Hamm, you know what I'm saying? You're dropping that oh, hammer. You're mocking okay, me, aren't fine. you? Uh, so, <laughs> so to move his innocence, he has to sit through a long sister's subject. It's, it's a, it's a de detective slash story, but it's very jokey jokey. Like, and that I do like. So he's charming as hell. Some nice European city backdrops. I think... There's one-liners that make me chuckle, but it is still very all over the place, and it's got oddly disjointed scenes. 
everyone is enamored with Fletch way too easily. And I think I really wanted to love it, but it makes all the mistakes as the original Fletch, in my opinion. Ugh. However, interesting Sorry. story about this show. When he was making it, John Hamm is a producer as well as the director or whatever. And he, he directed it as well? No, there's another director oh, that did it, sorry. but John Hamm is a big producer of it. And the actual studio or whoever, like whatever, actually said, this is bullshit. No one cares about Fletch. Bugger this. John Hamm gave up 60% of his fee to make the movie. Right. And so they got three days in Italy. And it went straight to, to Paramount. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the, what the mechanics of it are. What I will say Stream is that... Movie. Yeah, it's it does feel like an '80s comedy set in 2022, which is actually kind of cool. And I'll tell you this, Paul: critics fucking love it. Do they? Crit 85% Tomato Meter, 75 audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, sorry, audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. People love it. I don't, but I want to. Does that make sense? So you're still not recommending? I'm not recommending it because for real, I walked in and said, this is just too like sort of disjointed. I don't know about it. But holy shit, it's amazing to me how much people love it. And I kind of hope it's a sleeper hit for him because maybe he'll do a Confess Fletch Lives and then I'll like that one like I did in the <laughs> 80s. So um, yeah, I don't know, guys. If I don't recommend it. I don't think it's good. However, it's not an offensive watch. How's that? <laughs> John Hamm is still great. I love John Hamm. But okay. um, and it's funny enough to chuckle, but I, yeah, I'm not, don't rush out and see it. If it turns up, fine. That kind of thing. All right. Uh, all right. I was considering watching it, but you've tempered my relatively small I reckon you'll like it more now if you, if you watch it because yeah. you're like, yeah, this is going to be shit. Well, my number six is a film you're never going to watch. It is the last horror film on my list. Thank yes. God. <laughs> so here's where the Halloween can depart. But basically, this is the remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which came out earlier this year. Another one? On Netflix. Yeah. This How is- many? Okay. This is directed by David Blue Garcia, and this is completely divisive, this film. The fans, the hardcore fans, seem to be divided down the line between those who really enjoyed it for what it was and those who said, this is fucking shit. How can they sully the memory of the original with this kind of piece of crap? But they've already done it, right? Sorry? Hasn't this already been remade? By yes, it's been Lights remade before. Yeah. So this is the second remake of the original. Got it. And uh, is there anyone in it? No, not really. Okay. No one of, no one of consequence. They're all... The people you might recognise... Sarah Yarkin and Elsie Fisher. She she sounds like she's been in something before. What have I seen her in? Sounds familiar. Eighth Grade. The Girl from Eighth Grade. Okay. Did you watch that film? Nope. That's Bo Burnham directed that one. Oh, you directed a film. Well done. Okay. No, I didn't. Good film. Well worth a look. Okay. Anyway, in this film, a bunch of young social influencers mm-hmm. buy a town that happens to be the town where Leatherface is from. Okay. Because they want to get away from the crime and the, all the horror of the of the the city and the urban, like, hang on, because what? they're all influencers. Yeah, but but if you get away from your people then and your you population, don't have, exactly. I suppose you live online and you can just probably shoot more. What are you going to What are you going to shoot this little piece of shit town that means your followers are going to keep following you? Like yeah, if zero. they were influencers, they would they would hire they would have yeah. a beach somewhere. So that's that's absolute madness. And then of course Leatherface comes so to speak back to life and starts killing people. It might even be like meant to be like a sequel, if I'm honest, because but it doesn't really do a good job of setting itself up that way. Because mm-hmm. he's meant to be really old now, sort of leather face, but yet when he goes ballistic So is it a sequel? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. All right. That's an I mean it's an unusual premise though to have influences by a town. You know what I mean? As if these people who are so self involved would want to be anywhere away from people who could admire them directly. Yeah, that, that was the first and, and hardest bit I had buying into. But then, yeah, okay, it's meant to be a sequel. It, <laughs> it is, is, it is meant sequel. to be, which is, explains why he's so old. Not that you really see him, of course, other than when he's got the, the, thing f- the mask of flesh on. Uh, yeah, 
it's just it's dumb. This film is really dumb, but what it excels in is some really hardcore kills. This film goes for the jugular. This would be the worst film you've ever mm. seen in your entire life. Mm, mm. It does not skimp on the gore. It is so far over the top with some of the kills, even my jaw was left hanging. So I was like, all right, I wanted to be horrified. I guess I'm horrified. So well done, film. You've ticked that box. Is this sorry, this is Leatherface or Jason? Le- Leatherface. Leatherface. Yeah. Is Leatherface supernatural? No. Okay, so it's just a cracker. He's just a, a very large man who wields a chainsaw. Got like, it. And that's another problem. He's meant to be, I guess. I was kind of trying to do the math when I when I watched this film, which was a few months ago now. And I put this on four because I figured we should talk about it on the show. Yeah. He, he would have to be, if you go by the timeline of the original, he'd have to be in his 80s. Okay. Yeah. He's- or maybe 70s. And like he's wielding this massive chainsaw, this huge blade, mm-hmm. like it's made of, of balsa wood. It makes zero sense whatsoever. Can I ask you in in the in the in the chronology of all the films that have come before this? Given that it's a sequel, does Leatherface die in everyone, or purportedly die in everyone? No, in the first film he doesn't die at all. Okay, but in the subsequent ones, yes. Nah, he's always one of those. If he's dead, it's only it's, it's, temporarily. It's slash yeah, okay. Maybe he's alive. Maybe he's okay. Not. We didn't yeah. find a body. That yep. kind of thing. Okay. Ah, all right. And uh, would you, given that this is well, your... again, if you like Texas Chainsaw Massacre films, I think you have to watch this movie. But and, you just have to accept it's pretty poorly written. It's just the gore is incredibly awesome in it. So, all right. So yeah. taking into account the gore and the fact that it's poorly written, what's your score roughly? Uh, I gave this like two and a half stars. Two and a half stars. Yeah, all right right, so right in the middle. 50. Got it. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Um, all right. Well, my number five is a film that was made of a book. Almost every woman I know has read this book. Okay. If you know a woman who's in a book club, I can essentially guarantee that the group of women she's with have read this book and talked about it over champagne or whatever, okay? It's called uh, Where the Crawdads Sing. (laughs) Now, it's about this girl, Kaya Clark, who grew up in the marshlands of, like, North Carolina or something. And she she grew up, she had a really horrible father, he abused her, and he was such a horrible guy that her brothers and sisters periodically left. They just disappeared. They just, I gotta go, I can't stand him. He beats up the mother, he beats up her, all this sort of shit. And they end up just like leaving all of them. And then she's in there. She leaves. She ends up living with her father. He's still a piece of shit. And then he leaves. He leaves. He leaves. So now she's in this marsh, weird shack thing that's in the middle of the fucking swamp. And she grows up there. And she's known as the dangerous marsh girl. That's what the town folk call her. Okay. The marsh girl. The marsh girl. Right now she's. It's um. uh, What's her name? It's the Daisy Edgar Jones. Yep. So quite lovely. Yes, exactly. So she's an oddly pretty marsh Mm. girl. Right, but that's fine. It's a movie. I don't get it. Right, it's fine. So she actually um, lives there and is just known by that as the people. There's a guy from town, a, a sort of a, a, a the, you know, the the Chad of the town. He kind of hooks in with her, and then she has like an affair with him and stuff. But then he ends up kind of not. He, he was totally lying to her. He says marry me, but he actually was married. That kind of shit goes on, and she isn't there the, a murder? Yes. What happens is his ass gets murdered. Right. right? And she's accused of it, even though she's nowhere near it and all that sort of thing. And then it becomes this whole story. Now, what I believe, this is how it was sold to me by Kathy Sharp, who, who did the event screening. And she said, this is a tale of kind of... Um, for Sony, right? This is a Sony picture. For Sony Pictures, yeah. Yep. She said, this is a tale of kind of uh, a woman's odds, again, insurmountable odds, kind of, you know, it's, I think it is a female empowerment movie of sorts, all right? Mm-hmm. Now... Is it set contemporaneously? Yeah, it's set now. Well, hoo <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know Texas Chainsaw was a, was a remake or a sequel, so it's okay. If it's not set now, it's not set too far from now. Okay. So, um, but anyway, it is gorgeous visually because you think swamps, marshlands, huh? But it actually is gorgeous in because they've all got like those fan boats that you saw on the A Team that mm-hmm. you know you the swamp with. 
I kind of see why it was sold as con- and consumed by women as a feminist drama. I guess it could be called a romance thriller courtroom drama because it's all about them trying to put her in jail. Yeah. Let's say that it didn't make me mad. It di- I'm not saying it's the bomb or anything, but Daisy Edgar Wright does a really good job of being Edgar the- Jones. Edgar Jones. Edgar Jones, yes. Does a really good job of being like the oddly pretty freak marsh girl. Uh, you really do feel for the lead character, I will tell you that, because the abuse that she goes through is quite fucking confronting in front in terms of that. But I totally guess the ending, Paul. Okay. And I'd hardly ever do. Okay. Ooh, so not a good sign. <laughs> there you go. So like I said, if you're um if your book club has covered the book, <laughs> definitely go see it. Um, so it's a qualified recommendation. Exactly. And uh, but I don't like I said, I don't think it's badly made at all. It's actually quite well made and is really well acted. But it's you know, for a guy like you and me, kind of it's not really our jam. So, you know, ladies enjoy is what I say. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I wanna just go on a little rant for a moment. Please. Can we not double barrel surnames, please? Yeah. Here's the problem. It's okay once. But then if two people with double barreled surnames want to double barrel their kid's surname. Yeah, it's four names, yeah. Now it's four names. And then the next generation, it could be eight. Where does the madness end, Wayne? The madness ends, Paul, when... No, no one say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we've actually had this conversation when a few of our friends got married. And it's like, let's double barrel the last name. And the guy was like, hell no. She, he, you're taking my name and so are our kids, right? Now, I should mention, I have a nephew who was born a couple of years ago. He's only two years old. His last name, uh, he's the son of my sister. He has my last name. Right. Didn't take the, the, the dude's last name because my sister's like that. And I'm like, that takes a lot of pressure off me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm for it. No double barrels. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I just think it, it, it's, it's a one generation solution that then becomes unwieldy. I think like if you've got like single syllable names, you might be able to get away with it. But if it's you're like, you know... Jones, Smith, yeah. alas, Harry? No, no. <laughs> but that's like, yeah. But if you're like, you know, sort of Prazula Aruzu, like it's a lot of <laughs> fucking words, man. <laughs> How many vowels can you get? Exactly. How many O's, bitch? All right, yeah, sorry. Okay. Please, go on. My number five, here's where I start to recommend a qualified way. I wouldn't say this is like, oh, you have to, have to go watch any of these films. But this, if you're looking for what is advertising on the tin, this delivers. My number five is called Fall. Just came into cinemas here in Australia. It's been out for a little while now. I was chatting with someone about this not yesterday. If you don't like heights, this film is frightening. Really? Full stop. I do not, and I would probably shit my Calvins. And I think it would look magnificent on the big screen because they've expared no expense in terms of how this film looks. They're using lenses and so on to purport or to show you the fucking depth and everything. Yeah, yeah. like that. There legitimately are moments where my stomach, where my sphincter tightened up watching this film. Wow. Holy shit. That's big for you. Yeah, so. But it is dumb as two planks. Well, why is that? So basically, the Tell film what follows about. these two girls. In the very first scene of the film, one of the girls, boyfriend, husband, falls and dies during a climbing accident. Mm-hmm. Fast forward 12 months or 18 months, can't remember what it is. And the other girl is saying, hey, let's go spread his ashes. Let's climb the top of this 2,000 foot like telecommunications, aerial thingamajig, whatever. And let's go and do this because it's illegal without telling anyone and just climb up to the top, <laughs> which is... Fucking so no, stupid. I don't think any climber would do this that. This film is Darwin Awards the movie. <laughs> Effectively, these two girls, these two women deserve to die time and again through the course of the film because there's even a moment when they're at, they're stuck at the top. You know, obviously, that's what happens. That's the whole... So it's this very yep, much high concept. I saw the trailer, No yeah. pun intended. They're stuck at the top and one of them's trying to climb down to get to a bag that's lower down on the sort of... On this, this sort of little dish thing that's mm. below them and the rope just doesn't quite make it. Anyway, so she's hanging there trying to work it out. And I'm like, hang on, you've attached the rope to this one thing at the top. Just slide it round so she can get to it. But no, <laughs> she's 
stretching. She's going to have to jump for it. I'm like, what the fuck? It's a t- just Jesus Christ. That's annoying. Oh, That's annoying. There are so many moments like that in this film where you're just like, oh my God, this is dumb. But I can't deny I'm anxious about their fate and whether they're going to die or not die. So well done, movie. You've roped me in well enough. No pun intended. I therefore give it a qualified pass. Three stars for four. All right, so the thing that I'm intrigued about here is that it's, as you say, they climb to the top of a thing, they get stuck there, they yep. have no help. Obviously, there's no like phone. or Obviously, they can't call for help or whatever, right? Yeah, there's no reception up that high. Is how they of a telecommunications it. tower. Yeah, all, all right. right. May all not right. even be telecommunications. It's yeah, just yeah. a tower. Oh, yeah, that's fine, that's fine. That, that's, that's acceptable. But then I imagine, Paul... It can't just be that. There must be some drama between the two girls. There must be some history or some shit <laughs> yes, like that. You cannot is. fucking just be, well, we're up here now. I guess you got to jump. Nope, that's not a movie. Now there's some intrigue, I take it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, look, I mean, so are you recommending this? Yeah. You are? Yeah. All right. All right. As so long as you go in knowing this is dumb. If you can get past the Darwin Awardism, yep. right, then, okay, that's actually pretty good. That's actually pretty good. Okay. Fair enough. Four. My number four is, this is a qualified recommendation if you're a goddamn nerd like me. <laughs> okay. Animated film. It's called Batman Gotham by Gaslight. Now, this was made from a novel that was written a long time ago. I watched this one or not back in the day. Yeah. Or is it brand new? No, it's pretty pretty newish. Okay, then I didn't um, watch it during the movie watching show. A couple years old. Okay. So it's um it's got Bruce Greenwood. Yep. Jennifer Carpenter. Mm-hmm. She's playing Catwoman. And and Giles. Anthony Head. So um, as who? As Alfred. Okay. Okay. That makes so, sense. Of course, right? Uh, but what it is, it's actually an alternative Batman thing where let's say Batman was up against <gasps> Jack the Ripper. Yeah, yep. Okay. And it's set in sort of, a, I guess, Victorian age Gotham City. And it's surprisingly, it's actually R rated, Paul. However, my okay. issue with it is that although it's surprisingly grisly for a Batman comic, mm-hmm. there's stabbing, screamings, broken bones, blood, cursing. It could have gone a bit further with it. I think for this, it could have gone that way. And I've decided now that I hate that 2D animation style. Like, if, you, if, you, if you're going to do this, like... You, that's you all the DC films, aren't they? All 2D? Yeah, but this one is, like, it's very cartoony for a thing that's like this. Like, the, the, it's very hard to be sort of photorealistic or whatever in, in, a, in a, this type of animation. But what, the problem with this one, the same with, like, Batman, the fucking killing joke and stuff, they really fuck that to pieces because the animation sucks so hard. Right. That is the problem. So I would say that it's okay. The true delight of the film is watching Batman traverse 19th century Gotham fighting crime with steampunk weapons. Okay. Because his, his thing is like sort of like steampunk. Like, ooh, that's kind of cool. Um, but that's, that's, I mean, I actually say this. If you're a Batman fan, approach it cautiously. If you are not, I do not recommend it. So yeah, but it's, it's kind of, it's, I don't know, I love Batman, so that's why I thought it was cool. There you go. Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> obviously you're going to get a Batman boost from you. My number four is a film which I briefly mentioned to you at some point, but mm. I haven't spoken about it at length on the show. It's called The Princess. It's directed by Lee Van Keet or something like that, Keet, but there's all these inflections over all, every single vowel in, the, in that name, so <laughs> who knows. And it stars Joey King as a princess in a tower, basically, who's been locked there by this sociopath who wants to take over the kingdom by marrying her. Okay. And from there, it becomes diehard in a tower. Oh. Because she grabs the sword because she's trained medieval, to fight. Yeah. Medieval time. Yep. And she starts fighting her way down the tower, killing the, the guards who are trying to find her along the way to get to the sociopath before he murders her family to take the kingdom. But she she takes on the guards, yep. trying to fight her way down the tower yep. because she's captured there? Yeah. She's been sort of put up literally like and she's Rapunzel a in the tower. Yeah, and she's a princess. Huh. Oh. And Joey King play, she was in Bullet Train. She was the school girly. Yes, yes, so I sort of remember. I, I know of that actress. Yep. Um, is 
Wow. Dominic it's- Cooper is the sociopath, the guy who wants to take over the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And there's Olga Kurilenko is in this as well. It's kind of his offsider. And this is good. You recommend it? Yeah, I had fun with it. It's really dumb, but... It, is it gory? Uh, or is it just a fight? It's like, what's rated? Yeah, uh, it's probably rated R because lots of people die. She okay. stabs a lot, lots and lots of people, but it's not bloodthirsty. There's not gore drenching, whatever. She stabbed people to fall away with blood on them, that type of stuff. And is she an ass-kicking like swordsman? Yep. yep. Somehow? Yep. Well, Despite you see how she's trained by. Uh, she's of course she's trained by an Asian because an Asian. <laughs> <laughs> they, the Asians will train can do, you, bro. <laughs> martial arts and fight with swords. So oh, okay, no, yeah. that sounds kind of cool. It sounds like a medieval raid almost. Yeah, it, it is, <laughs> but in reverse. Yeah, going down the tower. Yeah, but then up. Oh, that's kind of cool. Actually, yeah. all right, not yeah. bad. Not so, bad. I can't remember what streaming service I went to. It's on Disney or Stan now. Disney. Okay, so you can okay. watch it now. Cool. Very nice. Uh, my number three was a film that I actually pitched to Paul and said, hey, let's cover this for the show. And he said, I don't know, man. And he was kind of right. Oh, three. Can't be that bad. Yeah. It's DC League of Super Pets. Yeah. Did you see it? No, not yet. All right. So I'll watch it, it with my daughter eventually. The plot is, first of all, the cast is uh, The Rock, Kevin Hart, Keanu Reeves, Kate McKinnon, John Krasinski, Ben Schwartz, a lot of people that you would know. Mark Maron. So um, the Rock's two things in the in the DC universe. He is, he is. <laughs> Diego Luna, Olivia Wilde, bro. Okay. Olivia Wilde. So um, it's about Crypto the Super Dog. Now, if you're a nerd like me, this is a nerd part two recommendation. <laughs> um, Superman has a dog, he's named Crypto. Batman has a dog, he's named Ace. Really? Uh, yeah, in the actual comics, Ace the Bat Hound is called. Um, <laughs> yeah. Shit name. They they colloquially call it that. He doesn't actually do anything. He's just the dog that's at the fucking bat cave. You know what I'm saying? Ace um, the bat hound. Ace the bat hound, yeah. But uh, uh, in this film, Crypto the Superdog and Superband, they're inseparable best, best friends. And they share the same superpowers, and they can actually fight crime side by side in Metropolis. The opening scenes of... Like when they shoot Superman into like you know, Earth from Krypton, which is blowing up, and the dog just jumps in there. It's beautiful. It's really, really heartwarming. Okay. Right? So then Superman, in this day and age, and the rest of the Justice League get kidnapped by an animal disciple of Lex Luthor. It's a kid's film, Paul. So, uh, so Crypto has to convince a group of like ragtag kind of animals, including Kevin Hart playing the the bat hound, although he's not a bat hound then, he's just a dog that they found in the shelter, and then you know sort of like a, a turtle and some other shit, and like and he has to get them together as a team. But Crypto actually loses his superpowers, so there's a little bit of a dynamic there, while these other animals get superpowers. So yeah. it's like, yeah, it's kind of a weird thing, but and they all have different things that go on with them. Now I will tell you that I love the Superman and his dog stuff. I love all the JLA, Justice League people uh, at the beginning. I thought it was going to be purely pets. Turns out Batman's in it, Wonder Woman's in it, all this shit is in it, okay? Even that dude Cyborg is in it. They actually bleep curse words in this film, which is not bad for a kid's film. I thought it was quite funny. Okay. Then there's there's a, a few great talking scenes, a relatively good big boss fight at the end, but the film is just missing something, Paul. Is it funny? Yes, it's funny. I will tell you it's funny. Okay. Especially if you're a Batman fan. The Keanu Reeves as Batman is something to watch. Okay. You should listen to his Batman. He's great. Yeah. Um, it did make me want a dog, like always. Um, <laughs> so, so how's that end? For any other day, it ends Exactly, in exactly. Um, but it, and I, the, possibly a slight like manly tear at the end it could, could, it could have gotten single to me. Single manly tear. A single manly tear rolled one. Um, Crypto is awesome. Dwayne is, the, the Rock is, is excellent as a character because he feels like Superman. There are excellent in-gags about superheroes that are very meta, which is worth looking for. It's not bad, it's just not awesome like I was hoping. So what I would say is, if you have a son that can't get laid and he's five, um, (laughs) and he likes superheroes and shit like me, then yeah, 
Okay, yeah, it's definitely worth that. Expect for him to ask for a dog after this, though. So that's the that's the thing about <laughs> this. Second, what did you say? If you've had a son who's five yeah. and can't get laid. Well, I, what? In his future years, can't get laid because he's a nerd. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is essentially my life, Paul. <laughs> right. Okay. So, yeah. Um, no, but it's it's uh, I, I, I carefully recommend it. Expect it not to be the best. It's not like fucking like, you know, up or anything like that. It's nothing as good as no. that. But it's still fun. So, yeah, I dug it. DC League of Super Pets. Okay. Well, just, just out now for cinemas here because, again, this was five, six weeks ago out in the States and I just don't understand this new release model. We've gone back to this whole weeks and weeks later before we get films. Which in is this day and age, Paul. In the last, yeah, since the pandemic seems to be becoming worse and worse. So, yes, the big Marvel films will come out the same day all around the world but or big things like that. But this sort of tier of film seems to be we're getting shafted time and again. Like bodies, bodies, bodies. Mm. You can now... Get it through Apple or whatever it is to watch to down. Like it only came out the cinemas like a week ago. I've I've had experiences where we go to a premiere, you and me, like an advanced screening. Yeah, for advanced. And by the time I get home the next day, it's available for streaming somewhere. Yep. Yeah. So they need to sort that shit out. Yeah. You cannibalizing yourself. Just release it everywhere around the world. I don't understand. Oh, there's some. It's each each Australia is particularly bad (sighs) with allowing release dates in. It's not the same as the states. So yeah, sucks. Anyway, my anyway. number three is a Netflix film, animated film, as well as luck would have it. It's called The Sea Beast, directed by Chris Williams, who, among other films, directed Big Hero Six, which was one of my fave animated films. I think I've heard of this Sea Beast. Oh yeah, yeah. What's yeah. that? Oh shit, this is good then. So basically, it's in this world where sea monsters exist, and, right? And humans are hunting them and whatever else, and the queen want and king want the tusks of this particularly bad monster brought to them, and so the Jared Harris plays the. The captain and Carl Urban is sort of the the first mate Jared on this Harris. ship. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he, because everyone believes what's been written, the monsters are bad. Da, 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 da. But you can tell very early on the monsters are just defending themselves. Yeah. Right. So it's that kind of film. We're going to turn out the monsters actually aren't that monstrous. We're the monsters after all. Oh, it's a human. Yes. Yeah. So Carl Urban's character, Jacob, meets up with this, this little girl, sort of stows away, and the two of them get in this adventure where the, the big sea monster they're chasing saves them rather than lets them die mm-hmm. and so they form a bond with it and are trying to save its life then when the Jared Harris comes back on this this determined kind of orca he's an Ahab motherfucker Ahab that's what yep. I was looking for trying to kill this beast come what may to save a whole sort of profession rather mm-hmm. than all being outsourced to the, the army to do yeah and yeah, yeah it looks fun it it's oh, it's it, in a fantasy sort fantasy, of time so yeah, okay, yeah, cool. I, I would imagine you know, 14, 1500s okay. Type, okay. type pirate time put it that mm. way but it, yeah there's a sort of steampunky element to really? it too. Yeah. I saw this advertising and I'm like, I've heard nothing about this so I never even thought about it. Did you watch it with your daughter? Yep. She yeah. liked it. And she dug it? Not that she watched it again which is a sure sign she didn't love it that much but... No, but like for you, you liked it? Yeah, it was good. It was a sea solid beast. three star, you know, 65 score film. Not bad. Okay. Well worth good. a look even though it is highly predictable. That's what this show is about everyone because I saw that and never would have given it time of day if I hadn't heard someone like talk about it now. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe we'll give it a shot. Yeah. It's a little long, it's a couple of hours long, so once again that Ooh. but that last 10 minutes is always credits in this animated film, so it sort uh, of shortens yeah. things a bit there. Okay, cool. Well, my number 2 is in fact one that Paul recommended to me and oh. I thought I'd give it a try. Holy shit. It is 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. Ah, okay. Yeah, With a bit so, of John Krasinski. John Kras. Now, the 2016, this film came out, so I had only just sort of like cursorily heard about it. But then Paul said it was good, and um, I I saw it with a lady friend who is from the Middle East. So How'd I went. <laughs> well, it turns out it's from the completely not same Middle East. Like this okay. is this is like Libya, which is almost Africa, right? Yeah. And she's from like Lebanon, so uh, not quite the same thing. However, 
She did say that she identified that the bad guys in this were a type of Arab called Wahhabi, which is in fact, most Arabs hate these people because they're the terrorists and they give everyone a bad name. Right. So what this is, this film is supposedly a true story. I believe it is a true story uh, of the unofficial CIA presence in Libya in 2012, where they set up this diplomatic compound and a secret CIA base in Libya, which is protected by a team of private military contractors, not soldiers, not like military soldiers. Mm -hmm. So John Krasinski plays Jack Silver, who's a real dude, and like most of the key characters, and they all have families back home. And this official diplomat comes to Libya, raising the flag for protecting the people, but he gets attacked by the local militia. And six contractors end up having to defend the entire CIA base by themselves against waves of local militant attacks. Now, the remarkable thing about this film is that it's the most un-Michael Bay movie I've seen in years. Because it's shot like a real film. There are cuts. There's (laughs) minimal slow-mo. I haven't seen one grandiose bullshit shot. He's on purpose gone. uh, Because it's a real story, I'm thinking... I can't be too Hollywood about it. He does, is a bit of shaky cam city going on for real, but it's like I was, there's nothing six undergroundy about it at all. All right. (laughs) And that's what I like. I was surprisingly good, like it's a surprisingly good film from Michael Bay. And it shows how confusing and volatile volatile things must have been over in Libya where you have no idea who's on your side because no one's got a uniform. Mm -hmm. And you're like, up until they're in front of you, you don't know whether you should shoot them or not. And that puts the American soldiers or whatever at at massive risk. The only thing is it's a bit fucking long. It is long. Two and a half hours, remember? Yeah, 224, something like that. And it's like, I was like, hmm. Spun their wheels towards the end a bit, which I, I, yeah, they could have done that. However, um, it's just like, it's, I'm impressed at Michael Bay's restraint, put it that way. I was sitting there going, because I had written them off. words you don't normally hear. I know. I, like, after you see Transformers and motherfucking anything Am- else. Ambulance. Ambulance. Ambulance was better for one reason or another because at least the shots were impressive with his drones and so on. Yep. But this was nothing like any of those things and it's all the better for it. So I'm like, he didn't make it. He can shoot a serious film. But, yep. And he's chosen to this time. I've not seen it again. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I'll never see it again. But whatever, you know, like, it's, it's, it's good enough. So, yeah, 13 hours. The Secret Soldiers of Bengali. Well, my number two also has the word 13 in it. What are the odds? Hmm. It's 13 lives. What's that about? This is the, directed by Ron Howard. And oh. it follows the rescue of the Thai soccer team who got stuck in the cave. Oh, yeah. About three years ago. 2020, was it? Or 2019? Yeah, they were a bunch of kids. Yeah, sort of 10, 11 year old kids or 11, 12 year old kids and the coach. What's it like? And look, given it's a a film which follows events from relatively recently and I I knew the basics of the story and knew certainly the outcome, it's quite intriguing. And it's long as well, two and a half hours, 147 minutes long. You'd think it would get really boring, yet somehow it doesn't. Young Ron Howard, yes, okay. And it stars Colin Farrell, Viggo Mortensen, and Joel Edgerton as the sort of three experts that come in to volunteer their time to help out. Joel Edgerton is playing an Aussie, who I believe is from here in Perth. Hmm. Really? Yeah. So they went to Thailand to try to get these kids out. Yeah. And how did they get stuck there in the first place? And I reckon some 5,000 people were involved in getting these kids out of this. They, got, they went into this cave where, so monsoon season or basically happens. They go into this cave. They're spelunking or just like? No, nah, they're just climbing. Crying. It's a bit of a right, literally rite of passage for the younger kid who's turning whatever old he is. And they just walk in there and then the rain starts and it, and it floods so fast, this cavern system, that you know, the film doesn't even, at the start, you're not even sure whether the kids are alive. Of course, you, are, you know that they are if you've followed yeah. the story, which was big news here in Australia at the very it least. It was. And, and I think all really all around the world. And then they arrive and they, they can't even, the army divers can't even get deep enough into the cave 
because it's just this treacherous. They're miles in. Oh, really? Yeah. So they are they are way way in. And so they've to, got to go underwater to get to yeah, them. Most most of it's diving to get to them because where they where they hold up, they're slightly higher up. And then there's what something I didn't realize is all these locals and people who are on top of this mountain that they're in, basically trying to find and block as much of the water that's seeping into at the top of the mountain oh. and then diverting it. And they have to divert it somewhere and it's going to go into people's crops. And so these local farmers lose their crops because they, they come to them and say, if we don't do this, these kids will definitely die. Shit. And so they all go, you're all right. So there's all these people who sacrifice so, so much. And and then the and there's not a lot of drama between the three leads in terms of it's more, it's really all about the rescue. And again, yeah. It's shocking that it can maintain your interest so well for two and a half hours. No, that's what I'm actually intrigued about, that this actually was interesting for that amount of time, given that it's one story. Yeah. You know? Oh, okay. You know what? Ron Howard is still good. He he absolutely has his moments. This is a good film. Well worth checking out. 13 Lives is my number two for the week. Very nice. Um, Do we do 10 to 1? Yeah, give it a quick run through. Why not? Okay, 10 is me time. (laughs) (laughs) 9, The Contractor. 8, Samaritan. Seven, Ticket to Paradise. Six, confess, uh, confess Fletch. Five, Where the Crawdads Sing. Four, Batman Gotham by Gaslight. Three, DC League of Super Pets. Number two was 13 Hours, the Benghazi one. And my number one, Paul, is Elvis. Wow. I know. Did not see that coming. Neither did I, bro. I only saw it because I actually do respect Baz Luhrmann's work. <laughs> in so I know. See, I liked um, off, Romeo and Juliet. Fuck I liked... Off. Uh, not so much on on um the fucking uh, Australia. I've never seen that one. Have you seen it? Great Gatsby. Great Gatsby. I didn't mind Great Gatsby. I've seen Australia. I haven't watched Great Gatsby. Um, but this one, Elvis. Okay, now, huh, I wasn't expecting a damn thing. So that's important that to note. Yep. Okay, this has very gaudy and very stylish everything. The opening graphics, the treatment of the film, the CGI of just jewels re- revealing things. Like the actual, it is so stylish. So the director uses like graphics, comic book inserts, flashbacks, music, artistic license to tell the story. And the way he does that really sets it apart from any, any just any biopic. I should tell you that I saw the original Elvis biopic, which starred one Kurt Russell with um, my dad back in the day in the 80s, right? And that was like any biopic. This is nothing like that. This has got, I didn't even know Tom Hanks was in it, but it's told from the point of view of Elvis's longtime manager, the Colonel Tom Parker, I think his name is. That's Tom Hanks, right? Yeah, yep. and he's, got, he's wearing a fat suit, so you can, he's like, you can sort of bury He does a great job, okay? But the idea here is, and I didn't know this, is that that manager worked Elvis to the bone, all right? And pretty much brought about his early demise. He died at 42. Elvis. Or the Elvis manager, did. Yeah. Elvis did. The manager stayed on. But like the way they show how women reacted to Elvis the first time they see him wiggling his dick and shit like that <laughs> and like gyrating, it's handled so beautifully. Now and I understand why Wayne liked it. No, no, but like it's because it's like, because they were trying to ban him because he wiggled his hips. You know, they're like, he's the devil, he's the this, he's the that. And it's kind of interesting parallels because Elvis was the first guy to, back in the 50s or whatever, 60s, I guess, he was like, it wasn't normal for men to wear pink and bright blue, gaudy kind of sequined outfits. Mm-hmm. They were like, he's a, he's a, he's a fancy, he's a dandy, he's a this, he's a that. And now, of course, it's commonplace. But like, you can see how a maverick now is is sort of treated not dissimilarly in that way. But like, it's the most interesting way of depicting his rise to fame and how everyone considered him the devil. But then there's a there are surprisingly few musical performances, Paul. <laughs> Still, it is not, and it's like it's, it's all. Well, it's all in favor of the drama and the story. So the funny thing is the lead actor doesn't actually look like Elvis. His face does not look like Elvis. But 
he does somehow embody him extremely well. And like 10, 15 minutes into the film, you just easily accept that he's Elvis. Okay. So Baz Luhrmann even incorporates some rap music into to score the places and somehow it works. Ugh. No, no, like just rappy beats over like this stuff. And they have these awesome short recreations of scenes from his films, which they just completely recreate. The little edge conversation, all that kind of shit from like Live a Little, Love a Little. Very cool. I've seen all those movies. I've How long every- is this film? Oh, let's see. It's long, Paul. It's long. <laughs> I'm, all right? I'm never watching it. But like, I, uh, I, you know what? I don't recommend it to you. I if don't I, recommend it to you. If I had a, a horror and say this is the most amazing horror film of all time, why well, you should watch it, you'd be like, eh, probably not. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's why I don't recommend it to you. However, if I could put together a supercut of the scenes in it, which show you like how bedazzled, the, 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 that's the only way I can, I can describe it. The images are where they just have all these like jewels. Because this is the thing about Vegas, Paul, because we have spent a life in Vegas. Vegas is a tacky tacky city mm-hmm. but it knows it's tacky and for some reason it makes it okay i've spent like about four nights collectively in vegas but that's kind of how this film is it makes it kind of good it's it's, it's purely the execution okay purely the execution so yeah there you go elvis one baby one elvis wow all right my 10 through to really my number one 10 the reef colon stalked nine bodies 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 eight unhuman seven kimmy six texas chainsaw massacre remove the the Five is Fall, The Princess at number four, The Sea Beast at number three, 13 Lives at number two, and my number one is a documentary. It's called Class Action Park. Class Action Park. It is. Class oh. Action Park. All right, go on with yeah. the club. So Adventure World All is right. clearly modeled on this park that existed in 1980s in New Jersey. <laughs> International listeners, Adventure World is the local yeah. amusement park type. Broke-ass Disney World that we yeah, have here. Really broke-ass. Really incredibly broke-ass. They've got this place, right? So basically, it's it's run by this millionaire who just sets it up. It's like, I just want to create a park which is about chasing a high like this. It's a thrill. It's going to be dangerous. Yeah, except he didn't have anything around, around like engineers Safety. to ensure, you know, if they check things out, like, ah, who cares? People got battered and bruised. <laughs> just open it anyway. They would have things like, you know, there's this big ball you get in and just sort of roll it down the hill and one kid just rolled, kept rolling straight across a major highway. <laughs> Wait, is they that... Had, had a water slide where it would just come out and then this like 30-foot drop straight into freezing cold water and people would bob up like... Hypothermia. Yeah. <laughs> really? Is it, a, is it a comedy? They had a toboggan. Like, is, it, is it a comedy or...? Well, it's a documentary. Oh, it's a documentary? Yeah, this is a, this is a true story. Oh, jo- shit. Johnny Knoxville made a movie that's sort of based on Class Action Park, or Action Park as it was called, hmm. back in the day, and made that into a comedy. But oh, this is a documentary action. about, in the end, how often they were sued and how the local government tried to shut them down and the shady dealings they did to, make, to maintain and stay open. Dude. And people died. People really? People died here. And they had interviews with the, with the parents who survived, one of their children who died on this That's park. fucked up. It is, yeah. It's really full on in places and because you're just shaking your head like with this grin on your face like, what fucking idiots? And then someone dies and it's all oh, fucking out serious. Bro, I spoke with a couple of folks I know who are just engineers for like different places like this. Apparently it is not, and maybe it comes out in this doco, but like a lot of like, we have something called the Royal Show which just is on now, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's this sort of once a year for a couple of weeks kind of, you know, amusement kind of place. And... What happens is a lot of the rides that you see are only taken out once a year and they're yep. stuck in mothballs for mm-hmm. the rest of the year, which means the maintenance on them is, lo- is fuck all. And um, there's one particular mouse, uh, was the wild mouse used to be this roller coaster, which was not a roller coaster. It went really wild and went squiggly. The thing you're sitting in is a box. There's not even a seat. 
So people, I would see ambulances fucking yeah. there I've all the, the time. I've been in the line for the wild mouse when it slammed, people got slammed into and people were carried off the ride. Dude, it's fucked. And an it's, am, it's amazing that this thing is allowed to happen. And a lot of times they don't. Uh, I saw a video recently of, you know, those things that like they, there's like a big massive tower and people are just sitting on a platform oh, and, then, yep. and then it drops. drops. Yep. I've seen one drop and not stop and just go bang and fuck everything up. I'm like, that shit happens all the time. So, well, all the time would be exaggeration. Okay. It happens. Way more than it should. <laughs> Well, and this this documentary, and it has like you know animations that they've done and recordings and interviews with people who were there and and rode these rides now because they they're well ten, twelve, fifteen, eighteen around the time. The culture in the park employees how they would all just drink and get high and fuck in this back cabin Carnies. and barely gave a shit about the kids who were riding on these rides, just shit like that. It was just it's just it's hard to God, believe, but really? it's really entertaining. So this is yeah. in the states, this place, yeah. Yeah, well, it was. It, it got shut down by whatever year. Yeah, it was a good doco then. Yep. Last Action Park is my number one for this week's, this month's, this time's top 10, last 10. So there you go. Hopefully there's something there that we've reviewed between the two of us that you've taken your fancy or some things that you were thinking about watching that you'll now avoid and you can thank us for later. That's right. All right then, well, let's hear what you had to say about the topic at hand in the segment which ends every show. It's called The Pop 10. Talk about. Pop 10. Talk about. off this week's pop 10 with Philip Meany boiling point one shot of a of a extremely tense night at a posh London restaurant fucking brilliant film really boiling point never heard of it sounds interesting no there's like a Wesley Snipes film called boiling point from uh, decades that, ago can't yes. be the same thing yeah can't be Josh Ragland blind spotting has a lot to say about race and racial identity and does so brilliantly hmm blind spotting okay Matt Evans split second cheesy 90s futuristic horror gem I seemed somehow seemed to have missed Rutger is on fire Rutger Hauer and I'm a bit partial for some Kim Cattrall Really? Yeah. I huh. think I've seen that one a long time ago, but don't remember much about it. Aiden Parker, Do Revenge, a good old throwback to cringy high school movies right up Wayne's Alley. Okay, Revenge. Do Revenge. Do Revenge, yeah, got it. I think it's a remake of, of the concept of Strangers on a Train, oh. Alfred Hitchcock. So yeah, yeah. two strangers agree to do something together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. Yep. Oh, nice. David Powell, top little page of the show, moderated Facebook listening community, is now back on Facebook. So well, welcome back, Well David. done, son. Pump up the volume. Just a tour de force by Slater and maybe the greatest high school movie ever. Apart from Heather's, obviously. You know what? Yeah. Have you not heard of Pump Up the Volume? Nope. Yeah, okay. Just... Okay. Okay. Daniel Hendo Henderson from the IMDb Journey podcast said, nope. Paul and Wayne are both on crack. This movie was great. Damn it, H. What the fuck? <laughs> that movie sucked a big dick. Well, a sort of medium dick. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> Austin Scott, me time. Why did this film even get made? Thank you. Garbage. It's a dick sandwich. <laughs> Rob Walters, Thor, Love and Thunder. How to take a winning formula too far and ruin a movie. Ooh. Agree, that thing sucked. Nicholas Haskins from Nicholas Kitchen. Clerks 3, a fitting end to the Clerks trilogy. Does that come out already? Oh, not here. It not fucking here. Once again, waiting, waiting, mm. waiting. Daniel Lowe, I've been watching a lot of theatre lately on Nation Theatre at Home, namely Angels in America with Andrew Garfield and A Streetcar Named Desire with Gillian Anderson and Vanessa Kirby. Therefore, when I watch the final few Nightmare on Elm Street movies, the acting, amongst many things, made me want to gouge my eyes out of their sockets. Gillian Anderson did Streetcar? Well, in a national... Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Nation Theatre. Yeah, yeah. yep. Lee Allen Thomas, Top Gun, Cole and Maverick, superbly directed action movie, my film of the year so far. I reckon it will be, just quietly. Mary Clement Hill, Thor, Love and Thunder, Wet Farts. <laughs> 
Uh, Troy Spinner, I'm going to cheat a bit here and say 21 and 22 Jump Street because I watched them back to back. Honestly, just pure comedic gold. The both of them and 22 is probably the all time best end credits sequence. One hundy p. That is a that is a you know a tower in comedic like film, filmography. I reckon those two. And there we are. Thank you to everyone who got back to us. Sorry I couldn't get through it all. Had a lot of feedback this week. Really greatly appreciated. And that is it for episode 391, Wayne. That's a show, son. How do the folks get in touch with us and let us know their feedback on these films today or indeed things more generally countdown? Hit thecountdownpodcast.com or search for us and get our socials or send us an email at thecountdownpodcast.gmail.com. Check out the countdown. You said that already. Podcast.com, didn't you? The website. Uh, like and follow the show through Podbean where you host. And Twitter is the countdown at PC if you want to hit us up there. Next week, Wayne. With thanks to John Huslander for the idea, we're going to come back around to do a, f- a top ten list set in a city. London. London. Hello. You sound like you're from London. That's, yes. from, that's my ball. That's the way we're going to talk the whole way through that episode. Oi, Governor. Which is, I'm not sure. What the fuck yeah. am I doing? No, I don't. I think I'm. I'm. Because I'm, London is not like Oxford is a very specific accent, Kent, uh, and and sort of like in the Geordie Manchester. and like, Manchester. Yeah, all different. So I'm not sure if there's a London accent, but it doesn't mean we're not going to do a shit version of it, everyone. So there you are, London set what films. What more could you ask for? <laughs> That's episode 392 next week on the Countdown. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Paul. My name is Wayne. And this has been the Soundboard. You're killing me, Smalls. Elvis. Elvis, man. I'm telling you. Damn. Okay. What's up? <laughs> we'll catch you next time. See, see, see you. We can't go on together with suspicious minds. Suspicious mind. So if an old friend I know shoving up your nose just by to say hello, would I still see suspicious?